I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In today's reading, we'll be looking at Revelation chapters 4 through 8. First of all, let me make a statement about the study of prophecy. Uh, With regard to commentaries, you'll find more complete commentaries on the book of Revelation than what I'll be giving you here on BibleTrack.org. Also, I'll be... Uh, just touching on some of the issues in these podcasts for a more comprehensive view, check www.bibletrack.org on the uh, respective day and you'll be able to see my complete notes. Now that being said, let me make one more comment. Uh, I've been studying prophecy since 1973 when I went to the bookstore and uh, bought J. Dwight Pentecost's book entitled Things to Come. It was written, first of all, in 1958. The uh, comprehensive presentation that he gives for varying views is, is really quite, quite good. And if you're very serious about studying prophecy, then you'll certainly want to get his book entitled Things to Come. Now, with regard to the summaries that I write on the book of Revelation, I'm going to provide you a framework for studying the book. I'll generally give you my thoughts and views on the passages, And I I won't be covering the alternative views very much, uh, especially the ones that I think are less likely. If you want to do an in-depth study of prophecy, then I suggest you get a copy of Things to Come by J. Dwight Pentecost. Now, in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, they are without question the events that take place in heaven. The time of these events are most likely immediately following the rapture the event detailed only by Paul, and he does that, He does so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 58, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Events on the earth are not, uh, uh, are not detailed until we get to chapter 6, and those are the first events that take place after the rapture of the church. Now, I should say a word about rapture timing positions. Among those fundamentalists who believe that the final return of Jesus Christ takes place before a literal uh, thousand-year period of time that we know as the millennium, there are basically three positions regarding the timing of the rapture of believers. The most commonly held view among fundamentalists is that the rapture takes place at the beginning of the tribulation. That's the seven-year period that precedes the millennium. And that's the position that I hold. However, Good men have proposed that the rapture takes place at the midpoint of the tribulation, and others have determined that believers will go all the way through the tribulation, that's called the post-tribulation rapture position, making the second coming of Jesus Christ the same as the rapture. Now, having carefully studied all three positions, I'm just convinced that the post-tribulation rapture is too inconsistent with other New Testament passages, such as 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51-54, also 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and 1 Thessalonians 5, and others. 
While the advocates of the mid-tribulation position make some good points, the pre-tribulation rapture position seems to fit more consistently with all the other scriptures regarding this period of time. So the pre-tribulation rapture of believers is the most commonly, most widely held view among fundamentalists. Now in chapter 4 of Revelation, it's all about heaven. All the incidents that take place here take place in heaven itself. Verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was a sea of glass likened to crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and there is not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, as I mentioned, the events of chapters 4 and 5 all take place in heaven. That much we're certain of. I favor the position that the trumpet of verse 1 can probably be equated with the trumpet of 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. That's called the trumpet of God there. And 1 Corinthians 15, 52, where it says, The trumpet shall sound. Keeping that in mind, the events of Revelation chapters 4 and 5 are most likely the, the events immediately following the rapture in heaven. We find a lot of figurative language in this chapter, so let's establish a key for understanding the scenario here in heaven. First of all, God is the one who is on the throne. His, his appearance here is similar to that of Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Consult Bible track to see the notes on that. The saints are represented by the 24 elders. We'll talk more about those later. Jesus appears as the Lamb in, chapters, in chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. In that passage, he's described in his messianic context as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. The crowns thrown before the throne in this passage are likely the rewards given to believers for their works as depicted in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. We do mention... Uh, in the scripture, we do find mention of five specific crowns in the New Testament epistles, and perhaps those are related to the crowns found in this passage. You'll find the crown incorruptible, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, and the crown of glory, all shown in the epistles by Paul, one by James, and one by Peter. Consult BibleTrack.org to get more details on those. 
While we don't know for certain, let's list some reasons why we think the 24 elders are representative of saints. These 24 elders are wearing white robes, crowns of gold, and they're singing a song of redemption. We'll see that down in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. They're, they're also listed as kings and priests, a title ascribed to believers in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. Well, why are there 24 of them? Well, here's a reasonable explanation based upon verses found in Revelation 21, verses 12 through 14, where there we see the new Jerusalem described. Here's what it says. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now you'll notice in that passage the twelve Old Testament tribes along with the twelve New Testament apostles. The math works for the Old Testament and New Testament saints to be represented here by the twenty-four elders. So if the above assumptions are correct regarding the identity of the twenty-four elders, which by the way is a widely held position, and the crowns here represents a future scenario, then here it is. Immediately following the rapture of believers, they, the 24 elders being the saints, will appear before God at the judgment seat, 2 Corinthians 5.10, to be judged according to their works. We'll see the scenario there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11-15. through 15. And the reward for their good works will be in the form of crowns which will be cast at the feet of Jesus in verse 10 of this passage. Now what about the four beasts? The actual Greek word for the word beasts here is zoon. It's a neuter gender noun from the same root as the verb that we generally translate to live, zao. It's not used in a negative connotation here, but simply should be viewed as living things. We don't have much to go on to determine their identities, but there are these are participants in the events of the tribulation, and they appear frequently in Revelation chapter 4, uh, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, chapter 5, verse 6, 8, 11, 14, chapter 6 again in verses 1, 3, 5, 6, 7, chapter 7, verse 11, chapter 14, verse 3, chapter 15, verse 7, chapter 19, verse 4. These living creatures are involved in the announcement of the seal openings, the first four seals in Revelation chapter 6. And they're seen there around the throne in heaven in chapter 5, along with the worshiping elders in that passage. In chapter 7, 11, verse 11, and chapter 19, verse 4, they're seen worshiping God along with the elders. In chapter 15, verse 7, one of them is seen dispersing these, the seven vile judgments to the seven angels. So we still don't know who they are, but we do know that they will be busy in heaven as assistants during the tribulation. Now in chapter 5, keep in mind we're still in heaven. Verse 1, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. 
And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation." and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth for ever and ever. So in this passage we have a view of the judging God and the sacrificial Lamb in heaven all through this chapter. Life on earth during the tribulation doesn't actually start being depicted until we get to chapter 6. All of these events of chapter 5 take place in heaven, and they're a continuation of chapter 4. The same characters are found in chapter 5 as we saw in chapter 4. Verses 1 through 8 deal with the opening of the book of judgments that began to unfold on the earth in chapter 6. Now you'll notice in verse 5 that the book has seven seals. These seals each represent a particular judgment. The judgments that began in chapter 6, where we see six of the seven seals revealed. The seventh is open in Revelation chapter 8, 1, and contains seven trumpet judgments. Six of the trumpet judgments are opened and explained in Revelation chapters 8 and 9, but the seventh trumpet judgment is open in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, and inside that trumpet judgment you find... Seven vile judgments, very severe judgments. The seven vile judgments are opened and explained in Revelation chapter 16. So that's a framework of what we're going to see down through Revelation chapter 16. Now back to this chapter. Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 through 14 here introduce a heavenly song. It looks as though we'll be learning a new song in, Re in Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10, this, this chapter right here. It's a song of redemption of sinners saved by grace. While God and Jesus Christ are one, the two aspects of God as judge on the throne and sin payment, the Lamb, are seen in this chapter. The beast, remember they're the living creatures, are seen in these proceedings. They're involved in the worship of the Lamb. There is no question regarding the identity of the Lamb here. He's Jesus himself. We see that only Jesus is worthy to open the book which contains the judgments to follow. He's described in his messianic context here as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. Regarding the description of the Lamb in verse 8, 
to know that it is Jesus Christ is all that we can actually be known, that we can actually know for certain based upon Scripture. His description here as having seven horns and seven eyes is interesting, but to explain the significance would just be a guess on my part, and on anybody's part for that matter. While a certain amount of educated speculation seems necessary at times when you're studying the book of Revelation, knowing the significance of the horns and the eyes described here doesn't really alter the fact that it's still a description of Jesus. That brings us to life on earth on the first day of the rapture, beginning with Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Well, this chapter contains six of the seven judgments referred to in Revelation as the seal judgments. These judgments come from the book discussed in Revelation chapter 5 verses 1 through 8. Now, I adhere to the most common position that chapter 6 contains John's revelation regarding the entire first three and a half years of the tribulation and the entry of the beast of Revelation 13 uh, appears at the midpoint of the tribulation, three and a half years, and there he proclaims himself to be God. We see that in Second Thessalonians 2 and also described in Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 through 27. This first three and a half years is a relatively peaceful time, it appears, and the world will still be digesting the disappearance of the believers who were raptured uh, in chapter 4. It is most commonly believed that the four horsemen spanned this period, and the transition of conditions on earth during the first three and a half years is seen with these successive horsemen. Well, let's take a, a look at the figurative scenarios with these four horsemen, most commonly held positions with regard to the horsemen are these. Horseman number one in verse two, uh, many folks believe that's the peace at the hand of the conquering Antichrist, the man that's really called the beast, but so many folks refer to him as the Antichrist, we will too. 
Many prophecy teachers point to the fact that this horseman has a bow but no arrows as an indicator that he's really a warrior but conquering through negotiations rather than violence. The desecration of the temple marks the beginning of the reign of terror by the beast. As we are told in Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. That this takes place at the three and a half year point of the tribulation. Some see Jesus on this first horse, but that really doesn't actually fit the scenario. Then we have the second horseman. Uh, verse 3. Would indicate by the description there that, he, that verse, uh, the, the first horseman is followed by violence. In other words, people begin to turn on each other. Then you come to horseman number three, uh, which shows famine. The violence of the horseman number two brings famine with horseman number three. And finally, horseman number four brings death. So you go from horseman number two, people turn on each other. Horseman number three, famine as a result. And horseman number four, death as a result of the famine. So that seems to be how the four horsemen are being pictured right here. Now keep in mind that these are just conjectures regarding the symbolism of verses 2 through 8. These four horsemen provide a sequence of events that begin in the first half of the tribulation. But it may continue throughout the seven-year period. We just really don't know. There's an interesting parallel which may be seen between these four horsemen and Jesus' sequential outlining of the events during the tribulation in Matthew chapter 24. Notice the comparison of passages in the table that I've provided on BibleTrack.org. You can go there for today's reading and compare the verses of Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 1 down through verse 8, with Matthew chapter 24, the first uh, nine verses there. Uh, it'll be a little confusing to try to explain the table in this podcast, so I suggest you go to BibleTrack.org to look at the, at the parallel passages, what seems to be parallel. Verses 9 through 11 display the words of those who were slain, presumably by the godless beast, the man we call the Antichrist, as it is assumed that he will garner worldwide influence with authority over the first three and a half year period of the tribulation. This assumption is based upon our knowledge that the tribulation period is seven years and that the midpoint is three and a half years into it. The first place we see that reference of seven years and the three and a half year midpoint is in the prophecy of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And that's when the beast, the man that we call the Antichrist, breaks his covenant that he previously establishes with Israel at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, and that broken covenant is depicted in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 by the Apostle Paul himself. Therefore, there really can't be any serious challenge to the notion that the beast plays a prominent role in the first three and a half years of this tribulation period. Now to verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. 
and the kings of the earth, the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every freeman, hid themselves in the dens, and the rocks, and the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now chapter 6 really gets interesting here with verse 12, all the way down to verse 17. There's some sort of volcanic activity and an earthquake which wipes out some armies in the mountains around Jerusalem. And what causes this cataclysmic activity? Well, whatever it is, it darkens the appearance of the sun and the moon. Sounds like an asteroid strike or something, doesn't it? That could cause havoc. You're going to see the notes in Revelation chapter 8 a little later on. And we'll get more details. So what about these armies? Well, I favor a position conjecturing. Now remember, this is conjecture. That these are the armies of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. The army from the north coming to challenge the authority of the beast. And that beast resides in Israel. We know him as the Antichrist. Now the big problem for the army of the north comes when the volcano and earthquake destroy them before they can even attack Jerusalem. Additionally, it makes sense that the beast will take credit for this miraculous destruction of the attackers. And thus, that will set him up for the abomination of desolation of Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. At this time, he will declare himself to be God, and he'll command that the regular sacrifices in the temple cease, and that he be worshipped as God. He will have established that covenant with Israel and renewed restored the the sacrifices at somewhere in the first half of the tribulation but here in the midpoint that's when he'll break that covenant with israel this brings us to the midpoint of the tribulation three and a half years have passed and more is written about this in matthew chapter 24 verses 15 to 31 and second thessalonians chapter 2 the tribulation period turns really nasty after this midpoint so let's summarize chapter 6 and give a little bit of perspective. I hold the view that chapter 6 covers the entire first three and a half years of the tribulation, although others may hold a different view. The period begins with the rapture of believers and concludes with the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel and outlined by Jesus Christ and mentioned in Matthew chapter 24 verse 15. The battle of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 will be fought, and that battle lists the northern aggressors as the enemy attacking Israel. Just prior to the abomination of desolation, there will be a major cataclysmic activity on the earth that will change the landscape and destroy the northern aggressors. And though not listed in this chapter, the beast of Revelation 13 the man that we call the Antichrist will proclaim himself to be God, Daniel 9.24, 2 Thessalonians 2, thus constituting the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of and that Christ references in Matthew 24.15. Now on my written notes on BibleTrack.org, I have the prophecy timeline which summarizes everything that I've mentioned up to this point, and that might be a great reference for you to go check out. That brings us to chapter 7, the 144,000, and they're all men. 
After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel sending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Gad were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Asher were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Naphtali were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Simeon were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Zebulon were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed twelve thousand. After chapter 6, our Revelation timeline gets interrupted for an identity check of these 144,000 witnesses who appear in chapter 7. Well, who are these people? Well, here's what we believe. Immediately after all believers are raptured to heaven, that's the pre-tribulation rapture position, there'll be a brief time when no believers are present on the earth. After a short time, I don't know how short, nobody knows, 144,000 Jewish men will miraculously get saved and become witnesses to the world, preaching salvation in Christ. The term after these things in verse 1 refers to the sequence in which John saw these four angels, not the sequence in which it takes place within the tribulation period. The term wind here is from a Greek word which seems to be a metaphor for the judgments poured out on the earth. There is a lull of action in these this passage right here while these servants are sealed up, which takes place at some point in the first half, probably at the very beginning of the seven years of tribulation. So here's what we know from Scripture about these 144,000 witnesses. First of all, we know they're sealed from hurt, according to verse 4 here, with God's name. We see in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, where we once again revisit these 144,000 witnesses. Secondly, we know that 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel are pictured here in Revelation chapter 7, verses 5 through 8. Now, there's a little caveat there that we need to mention. We don't know why there is a variation of the listing of the tribes here. Dan, if you'll notice, is omitted. The 12 is rounded out by listing Joseph and his son Manasseh. They preach the salvation message. We see that in verses 9 through 11. They're all men. We'll see that when we get down to Revelation chapter 14, verse 4. They are the first ones saved in the tribulation. We're going to see that when we get down to Revelation chapter 14, verse 4. And finally, they serve to fulfill Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27 in the salvation of Israel. Check out my commentary on Romans 11 to see those notes. Chapter 7 is not sequential in the outlining of events of the tribulation. It's what we call a parenthetical chapter. It's there to explain events that characterize the entire 
seven-year period. The sequence of tribulation events resumes when we get down to chapter 8. Now we see in verses 9 through 17 a great multitude that gets saved. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto them, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. These are the people who get saved during the tribulation, apparently as a result of the ministry of the 144,000 witnesses that we saw in the first eight verses of this chapter. The influence of these witnesses will be worldwide. These are the saved who came out of great tribulation, it says. Jesus uses the term great tribulation to describe the period after the manifestation of the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, verse 21. That's where he uses that term. Thus, we conclude that the Great Tribulation is a term used to make a differentiation between the last half of the Tribulation as opposed to the first half. A popular assessment regarding the identity of these people is that they are the ones who died as believers during the Tribulation. The conditions before the throne, verse 9, seem to be a picture of the conditions in heaven rather than the millennium. However, we aren't actually told that they died during the tribulation, and there's a slight problem with that understanding. We're told in verse 14, these are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these are more likely those who endure to the end of the tribulation, and move on in to populate the millennium. As a matter of fact, verse 15 says that they will serve in his temple. The New Jerusalem has no temple, according to Revelation 21:22, where it says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Therefore, it must be that these survive through the tribulation and are given a special place of honor in the millennium where Ezekiel's temple, Ezekiel chapter 40 and following, where Ezekiel's temple will be erected. And then finally, we come to chapter 8 today, where we see the seventh seal is open. Remember, we saw the first six seals in Revelation chapter 6. Now, here's the seventh. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. 
And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. One of my Bible teachers back in uh, college maintained that verse 1 proves that there are no women in heaven when it says, and when he'd opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Okay, lighten up. That's just a joke. It's a preacher's joke. Actually, I heard that from Professor Emerson Pent back in 1971. He passed away a few years ago, so let's let the man rest in peace. The silence is likely in anticipation of the terrible judgments immediately in store for the earth, beginning right here in this chapter. Now, what we do have in verse 1 is the seventh seal judgment. All of the other six seals were open and explained in chapter 6. This seventh seal doesn't seem to have a judgment attached to it. Well, not so fast. It would appear that the seventh seal judgment contains the seven trumpet judgments introduced in verse 6 here. Now, don't get hung up on the seals, trumpets, and later the vials. These are just tags to differentiate the judgments. I hold the position, and it works very nicely, that this chapter marks the beginning of the second half of the seven-year tribulation period. You will recall from Daniel 9.27 and Matthew 24.15 that it is at the midpoint of the seven-year period when the beast of Revelation 13, that we commonly call the Antichrist, breaks his covenant with Israel. This is that point in time right here. So who are these saints in verse 3? And what are their prayers? This is the first of two references to the golden altar. These saints undoubtedly are the saved on the earth during the tribulation. If you were saved during the tribulation, what would you be praying? The prayers go up and judgment as a result begins. So, seven trumpet judgments follow as a result of the prayers of the tribulation saints. Then we have the first four trumpet judgments, and those begin in chapter 8 here, verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, the third part of the stars so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So get the picture here. The relatively calm period of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, 
comes to a screeching halt at the end of chapter 6, where there we find a battle and an earthquake with volcanic activity that results in the destruction of the armies in the mountains around Jerusalem. At this point, the beginning of the second half of the tribulation, the beast of Revelation 13 takes control of the temple and he insists that he be worshipped as God. Daniel 9.27, Matthew 24.15, 2 Thessalonians 2 are our descriptions of that event. Now as for the second half of the tribulation, it's horrific. Something cataclysmic happens on earth as described by these four trumpet judgments. We see four of the seven judgments briefly described here. The first is hail and fire mingled with blood cast upon the earth, where we see the vegetation is burned up. The second is a great mountain burning with fire cast into the sea. Something from above falls into and poisons the seas. Thirdly, we find the great star fell from heaven. And again, something from above falls into and poisons the fresh water supplies. And finally, the fourth trumpet here, the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. The light here emitted by the celestial bodies are diminished by one-third. This could be related to the atmospheric conditions as a result of the volcanic activity and the particles that would be in the air as a result of that. Uh, and that could be what darkens this, the uh, sun and the moon and the stars. When I read verses 7 through 12, it reminds me of the results we are frequently warned about if one of those asteroids that our government tracks actually were to collide with the Earth. I think it's legitimate to guess that perhaps the Earth has struck by an asteroid here to bring about this level of destruction. With the particles in the air, it is reasonable to conclude that the light from the sun and moon would be diminished by one-third as well. Of course, the waters would be contaminated and the land scorched, Perhaps this is a follow-up to what we saw in Revelation chapter 6 with the natural phenomenon there in verses 12 through 17. Then we have, we're going to look at one verse here, the last verse of chapter 8, verse 13. Here's what it says. And I beheld and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. After chapter 8, there's still three trumpet judgments to go. They referred to here when the angel says, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. These three woes enumerate the last three trumpet judgments. After the fifth trumpet judgment, it is said in Revelation chapter 9, verse 12, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Then after the sixth judgment of the trumpet, the trumpet judgment, it's said in Revelation chapter 11, verse 14, the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. So as you can see, the wording in verse 13 is quite significant it's telling us that the tribulation is going to get much worse beginning with these last three trumpet judgments. Well, now, don't let it get you down. 
Believers, with the pre-tribulation rapture position that I hold, believers will already be gone in the rapture when all of this takes place. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.